Welcome to episode 123 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. Today's show is Maria Zondervan. She started off as an environmental protection scientist, literally studying endangered species in our beautiful planet and realized that to continue her passion, she needed to get a little bit more creative about income, which led her to real estate. And she's going to tell her story and what she's learned along the last 25 years of investing in real estate and share with you some parting tips and tricks going into 2023 and beyond. Maria, welcome to the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So briefly kind of tell us your story. Where did you start in life and how did you get where you're at now? Um, well, I mean, when it comes to the real estate world, I was actually at the University of Florida. Um, it's my final semester there, and I'm up late at night studying, cramming. And you know those infomercials used to come on TV back then? And um, one of those infomercials about real estate clicked on. And I got stuck watching that instead of studying and decided to use the money I needed for my textbooks to instead buy this um, infomercial real estate course. But I just saw the big picture. I'm like, you know, this is a way to build some wealth, even though what I want to do for a living isn't real estate, or at least it wasn't at the time. Um, as you mentioned, I went into the environmental field, became a wildlife biologist, but I knew I'd never make good money doing that, right? So it's good to have a backup plan. I wanted to do what I was passionate about, but I wanted that backup plan. And that's the beautiful thing about real estate. You know, it grows with time, you put it in place, and it just goes. And so you are able to do it and then follow your passion, not have to worry about the income in the same way. So now you are Native American. Or you are you 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 were born in America. Where did you no, start? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So we're going way back. Yeah. Yeah. So let's I've, let's do it. Like give us five minutes. Your story is incredible. So I want people to really understand where you're coming from, where your headspace was, and how you use that as an asset to grow your portfolio. Oh, well, thank you. Um, yeah, so originally I immigrated from Sweden, so um, I was pretty young at the time. I was nine years old. Um, my parents had an import-export business of Swedish crystal to the United States. At some point, it became easier to run that from here. And we had family here, uh, grandparents on both sides. And so, you know, we could legally immigrate and do that. And um, so, yeah, that was kind of turn your whole world upside down, come to a country. I didn't speak one word of English when I got here. My parents just shoved me right into public school. Absolute shock to the system. But um, I think it woke me up because I was a really lousy student when I was in Sweden. I was just about, you know, hanging with my friends, doing all that kind of stuff. But when you don't know the language, you all of a sudden have to pay attention, <laughs> which is something I was lousy at before. So I think it was a real blessing. It became a better student, became a better listener, and um, had to really work. And so I learned how to work. Mm, kind of developing those character traits and then operating on your feet, right? And and taking action as they happen, living life in real time, whatever's hitting you, you're responding to. So fast forward, you got out of college and you got married? I did. I had a heck of a May. Um, I bought my first property, did a, a lease option that I had learned through this course. I got married, graduated college, and started my career all in the same month. So it was a busy, busy May. So so yeah. first property was a lease option that you learned about how to do that from an infomercial that you saw on TV. That's right. 
Yeah, it was a, just to date myself a little bit. This was a course that came on cassette tapes. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, Great yep, I, I plugged them in one after the other, listened to the whole thing. It came with like all the forms, how to make offers, how to do the no money down deals. Because I was a broke college kid. I mean, I didn't have, have money. So I um, had to figure out how to get into a property. But uh, yeah, that kind of launched it um, using that first first uh, technique of a lease option and house hacking. I kind of combined them. So we lease option to get the house, but then we still couldn't afford the house. So we leased out part of the house in order to um, to to make that payment, right? Excellent. So moving forward, you're out of college. You started your your desire career path, which was in studying endangered species. Where did you start there? Yeah, so I started with the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission as a, as a biological scientist one, is what they called it back then. And um, yeah, started uh, doing permitting and stuff like that. Eventually graduated to working hands-on with a lot of different endangered species. Everything that's, um, you know, crawled, slithered, or flew in Florida or swam, pretty much I got to work with, which was really cool. We got some neat critters over here. And um, yeah, I loved that, but I never stopped investing in real estate. So um for that job and for my husband's job, we moved quite a lot. So every time we moved, we'd keep the old property and rent that out and pick up a new one. And we just kind of kept doing that. And then eventually, you know, we had um, additional properties when we were actually making a living and no longer broke college kids where we would start buying additional investment properties. So we, we grew a pretty good portfolio and uh, did that through about 2008. And I think a lot of people know 2008 was a real estate challenging year. Um, but we had quite a few properties right then and decided to kind of cash out while the bubble was hot. So we didn't cash out of everything. We kept the things that, you know, if we weren't over leveraged, they were cash flowing well, you weren't really in trouble. The ones that were in trouble were the people who were completely over leveraged, couldn't afford those payments, um, or, or were trying to flip while the market was going down. So, um, luckily we cashed out quite a bit of money at that point, kept some rental income going. And then we used that money to buy our first business. And so I was still working as a full-time wildlife biologist and managing the properties we have. My husband had been a special needs teacher, but wanted to have his own business. We actually um, purchased a Massage Envy franchise. Not sure if you've heard about Massage Envy. If you have, yeah, of course I've heard. Yeah, yeah. Sure. When we got in, no one had heard of them because they were <laughs> So we really took a chance. Uh, the beautiful thing about real estate is you can leverage it. The banks love it as collateral. So here, you know, we're still fairly young and go to the bank and we want this really big loan. You know, we're talking more than half a million dollars to start one location and um, downtown Orlando location, no business experience. Why would you trust us? And, um, you know, a couple of banks said no. And then others said, well, you've got a lot of real estate. If you want to put that up as collateral, you know, we like we like real estate. It's a hard asset. And so they're willing to do that. And we got our first business. Eventually, we bought a second location. They both, you know, took off. And um, now we had another problem. Got all this money coming in. Oh, no. <laughs> that means taxes. So we had to get rid of those taxes. And so what's real estate great for? Lots of write-offs, lots of depreciation. Um, so this time decided, let's go multifamily so we can really scale. And so we got into apartment investing. Yeah. That's a big step. What made you, what makes you, uh, I mean, you were a single family up until that point. And how many units did you have in the single family realm when you went into the massage business? 
I honestly don't remember um, because we had flipped some, we were renting some. Mm -hmm. um, I honestly don't remember. But um, we kept three because we still have those three. <laughs> so that much I know. Uh, and they're nearly paid off, so that's really nice. Although some people are going to comment, you shouldn't have them paid off. It's better leverage them, put the money to work, and, and they're absolutely right. But there's some security to be said for it too, so we kind of do a mix. That's right. Well, there's different plans for everyone. So multifamily, tell me about how that deal came together. You had cash that you needed to expense or, or, or deploy out as a business expense, and you decided to go into multifamily. Did you do a syndication or you guys bought the entire thing as yourself? We bought the first thing all by ourselves. So we still had um, one other problem that I consider my nightmare property. It's in a great location, but for some reason, no matter how hard we screen tenants there, we would end up with just bad tenants. So after I kicked out a drug dealer that was um, stalking me and, and uh, <laughs> um, threatening my life, um, we decided we're done with that property. So um, sold it and didn't want to take the tax hit. So did a 1031 exchange, combined that with some of the money from the business and bought our first 12 plex. Excellent. Excellent. And that was, that was in Florida. All this has gone down in Florida. This has all gone down in Florida and until recently I've, I've started investing more out of state. But at this point, I was still, you know, very hands-on. I wasn't self-managing the multifamily. That's one of the other reasons we went there is you can get professional management, right? It just changes your life. You don't have to deal with these scary tenants, which, you know, not all our tenants are scary. Many of them are wonderful, but we had some scary ones. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like a real, that sounds like a real bad experience. And I think I think a lot of folks have had that one or two that I, you know, I, I remember growing up. My parents had a bad experience with a tenant, and it and it created a argument, you know, internally too, where at, they went through a period where they were like, "We're never going to get into real estate again," you know. And and that's I'm I'm so glad that you bring that up because I know there's people listening that that's happened to them before. And and how how you overcame it was basically saying I'm going to put somebody between me and the tenant going forward. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Yep. Okay. So, so yeah, that's so that's really changed it because you can also do so much more. You can do so many more properties when you're not hands on in it. Because again, I was still working at, at well, actually, that was close to when I finally decided to take the leap out of my um, uh, wildlife job and go real time, but that's another story. But uh but yeah, just just not being bogged down with the day to days of of that just lets you lets you scale. Sure, sure. So you got the twelve unit, you have two massage parlors, are I that sounds so bad. Clinics. <laughs> I I know if you were thinking Florida massage parlors. No, clinics and you're investigating endangered species i'm assuming during the day is that is that kind of what your life was at that moment pretty much pretty much um yeah yeah what kind of species are you dealing with at that point um my passion was a little woodpecker called a red cockaded woodpecker and most people have never heard of them um but they're you know there's less than three percent of them left in the world from their original range and um it was a crazy job you're you're climbing trees and installing artificial nest boxes. It's basically fine carpentry with a chainsaw while tied to a tree. Um, so doing that, capturing at night from um, locations where they're doing well, 
translocating them to places where you try to reestablish populations, tracking their breeding, uh, you know, just really hands-on, banding all the nestlings so we can identify them, count the populations. It, it, was, it was great. And then um, a lot to improve their habitat, which involved a lot of prescribed burning. So you're hanging out of helicopters, doing fires, or burning by airboat or horseback or whatever, a lot of fire stuff. Um, also fought a lot of fire, did a lot of wildland firefighting. So it was it was a fun career because you never knew what to expect from day to day. You know, you're getting your ATV stuck, you're breaking down, you're stuck in the mud, you're finding cool critters. You know, I, I remember one night where I was doing a roost check, which is when you're checking for them early in the mornings. But to get out there when it's pitch black and I'm hiding in the bushes and I start hearing growling behind me. <laughs> never saw it, but I'm pretty sure it was a Florida panther. And uh, I was just, it was raining a little bit, had a head thingy on, so I couldn't detect which direction it was coming from. I was terrified to move because I'm like, if I move towards it, that's a sign of aggression. Now I'm in big trouble. <laughs> so I need to move away from it, but I can't, don't know where it's at. So I just stayed still. Eventually I heard footsteps leaving and I don't know, that was pretty terrifying. But uh, <laughs> My God. it was a fun career. It was a fun career for sure. But um I have sort of a big why for why I needed to make a bit more money. As, as passionate as I was about that, um, you know, as a state employee, as a biologist, you're not making a lot of money. And it's a great job. It's a fun job. And, and I felt like I was giving back. So it was something I was passionate about. But um, I ended up having a special needs son. He has autism. His name is Carl. He's awesome. But I started thinking as he was growing up, like, what is his future going to be like? 75% of autistic adults are unemployed. Um, even the ones that are very high functioning, which my son happens to be, he's got nearly, you know, not genius IQ, but extremely high, higher than mine. Um, but he can't get a job, can't hold a job because he doesn't have social skills. It's very difficult for him. And so I was like, I need to make sure he's going to be financially set for his whole life. And I had seen by that point, the power of real estate especially the multifamily. The returns I was making there were way higher than the single family. We started putting some money into LP positions, limited partnerships and syndications. That was doing really well as well. I'm having to do no work there whatsoever, making more money than I was on the single family homes. Said so I need to just dive full, full in on this. So we had bought a second apartment complex at that point too. And just said, you know, time, time to leave this job that I do love and all the people that I grow very close to did 26 years of it and said, let's find a new passion. Cause I had another passion. I had my son. And, um, so I became very passionate about real estate. I took all that passion I had in this area and I just channeled it over here and, um, started working along those lines. Wow. What a transition. Um, gosh. Um, and, and yeah, I can imagine the dynamics of, of taking that on and, and, um, Wow. Okay. So you had learned the dynamics of how to convince a bank to give loans, right? I think that was an eye opener with the the massage clinic. I did it right that time. <laughs> um, you, you know, you kind of learned, wow, like they love, like you said, the collateral of real estate's really yeah. easy to convince. Not every bank, but a lot of banks. And so you essentially just perfected that. Then you got into syndication. Why? Why did you get into syndication? Well, maybe because I just like difficult things. <laughs> I mean, I had seen it from the investment side, you know, as as the investor. And like, that's really, really nice. 
I have a lot of friends and family that want to get into real estate, but they don't have the know-how and they don't have the time. So I thought, okay, I've got those skills. I know how to manage my own properties. I've now tested the multifamily with my own properties. I'm not jumping into this blind. Um, I had joined various masterminds, gotten to know great people in this field. Lots of them were syndicators. So I had wonderful mentors. I said, I can do this and I can bring my friends and family along. They can invest with me. They don't have to do anything. They can get the same great returns that I was seeing. So it just became that new passion. And um, yeah, and so it took it off. Uh, it took off and I've done syndications now in, in various other states outside of Florida where the cash flow was a little, little better. Florida's market is phenomenal. The equity growth here is amazing, but the cap rates are so compressed that sometimes it's hard to cash flow when you first buy the property. With time, it's going to really cash flow, but it takes a little while. Not everybody's willing to wait for that. So we like to have a mix of opportunities for folks. And so that's that's kind of what we're doing. But sticking to the Sunbelt, sticking to where people are migrating to, where populations are growing so that you know you're always going to have those tenants ready to go and your rents are going to continue to to grow as well. So I'm putting the puzzle together. 2008 was the last date that you said uh, on this interview. And so 2008, when you sold off, at kind of what you felt like was the height of the market. Then after after that, you guys went in to the massage clinics and then bought your 12 unit. What's the time frame of that first 12 unit? Um, I want to say that was 2018, right about there. Yeah. By 2019, I was full-time in the real estate world. Or- so how old was your son in 2018? Well, he's 22 today, so you're going to make him a gun. Gotcha. No, no, no. Okay. So, 18 So it sounds like it had become obvious during that time period that you you maybe were less hopeful that he would be completely transitioning into a work, you know, a job to be completely independent. You started realizing that we have a situation where he's entering adulthood and this may not we may not be able to expect a traditional, uh, you know, get a job, get a paycheck, da, 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 da. we're going to need to come up with a more creative plan. And in 2019, it sounds like you went full steam ahead to, I'm going to create a dynasty for my family is what it sounds like to me. That's that's pretty much it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So talk us through 2019 and to today, which is spring of 2023. How are you building the foundation to this dynasty for your family? Um, well, I mean, we're we're building that syndication business, building our investor base. Um, like I said, we've done a number of syndications, starting to move more into Florida now that the market's changing. 2023 saw a big market shift, as I'm, I know you're aware. And uh, so we're previously, sellers weren't listening to any offers with seller financing or any of that, nor, nor did you really need it because... Loans were really cheap from the bank. Um, now we're in that negotiation phase. So now we're finding some deals in Florida as well, which is great. Um, where we can get into some of those really hot growing markets and um, and be able to actually negotiate with sellers. So moving back into this market a little bit, that's, that's sort of a big change. And then just to make my life a little more interesting, I can't just settle for that because I think you figured out by now I'm a rather passionate person. So I also started a nonprofit. 
So we're, we're going to be building housing for autistic adults because money is one part. They're going to need to be financially taken care of, but someone also needs to look after these folks, right? And I didn't want to burden my younger son with that responsibility. And I talked to so many other parents of special needs kids who are like, what happens when I'm not around anymore? You know, and they need more than a roof over their house. They need someone that's going to look after them. They need certain services. A lot of them don't drive. Um, a lot of them need that push to try to help get employment. They need a lot of services. I won't get into all of that. But basically, we've founded BalhallaVillas.org, if anybody wants to check that out. And um, so we're going to be building housing from the ground up, large complexes, 50 to 100 units a piece that have the services on site. Um, but we're going to do things a little different. We're, we're also doing some integrated models where we buy existing apartment complexes and integrate part of them to special needs. Just a portion for those people that don't want to live in a fully special needs community, right? They want to sure. just be part of the mix, um, but where we will still have services. And we're going to allow... Um, individuals to invest in those properties, just like you would a regular syndication, with the big difference being is this is a forever hold. Most syndications turn five to 10 years out. This will be a forever hold. So it's perfect for people who want to leave it and say a special needs trust or something like that for their children to make sure that they're financially taken care of. So Wow. What an excellent concept. Yeah. yeah. That's really got some... Uh, you know, I, 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 you don't know this about me, but my parents actually run a special needs school uh, based in Austin, Texas. And, and I think there's probably lots of schools around the nation that you could pull together, right, to, to kind of get in, get in kind of a pipeline, if you will, uh, or at least a path of hope to say, look, there's an ecosystem that's developed around this. And it's, if you look at the numbers, it's growing. It's not, it's not shrinking. The demand is growing in that. I know we have many listeners. In fact, I can name several of them that are that are investing in retirement uh, assisted living developments. Oh, yeah. And and so I think we're all kind of pivoting in different ways, and that kind of transitions us into so twenty twenty three. Kind of looking forward, you're wanting to syndicate, which just basically is a fancy word for combine investors' assets together for a period of time into an investment with the goal of either all profiting together or, like you said, doing a unique project. Um, so in 2023 going forward, is that is that what you're doing or do you have any recommendations for other investors that you've learned and that you're kind of like, you know, you know, where, where, where's your focus right now? I'm doing binoculars because we're, <laughs> we're, um, you know, we're looking for extinct animals, but now we're looking for extinct listings. Well, and I love that you were using the ecosystem term too, right? Because that's one I'm very familiar with. But you're right. Th there is that huge need. You said the need for this is growing. So right now, one in every 44 kids in the United States is going to be diagnosed with autism. So, I mean, that's just mind-blowing. Oh. Yeah. And that rate that's, has... That, that, they just released that this year, that one out of every one in four, four Americans that yep. are born yep. are going to be diagnosed with autism. Yeah. And if you look at the, the graph, being a scientist, I'm always looking at graphs, right? It's just the trend is just phenomenally fast. You know, it wasn't that long ago that it was rather rare disease or di not disease, but um, it was it was just rather rare. And now it's becoming really, really commonplace in the schools, like you said. Most of them are not equipped to it. So more and more special needs uh, schools are popping up. My son went to one of those. 
And so, yeah, that that really is a big focus for me is we'll continue to do regular syndications, let people invest in those, but then also have these long-term syndications, if you will, where we still get people's capital back through refinancing. And so you put your money in at some point, five, six years out, we refinance, you get your capital back, but you continue to have ownership in that property forever. And you can pass that ownership down to descendants. They also say 80% of wealth is lost by the second generation. You know, a lot of people think, oh, if I build up a lot of money and I leave it to my kids, they're going to be set. Well, if they're not the ones who made it, they probably don't know how to manage it, right? So a lot of people, you could give a million dollars and they're going to be broke in a year. We see it with the lottery all the time, right? So if you really assure that future wealth, you can put that in a trust where they can't sell it. They have to just take that cash flow every every month or every quarter, whatever the distributions are. So that's that's the main focus right now. That's incredible. You've just said to I know I know I can just see the wheels spinning on. You know, you might be on a train, and I know some of you folks are you know they listen on the train on the way in in New York or or DC, and the wheels have got to be going when you talk about. The growth in that market and just the demand. Now let's let's dive in a little bit. We got about ten minutes left here. Dive in on what's the difference between a traditional multifamily and a multifamily that would service kids with this special needs. Yeah. Um, so it's the service sector. So you've got your housing and then you've got your services, and so you have to provide both. But you kind of separate them out. You know, rent is one thing. Housing is one thing. You have a separate sector for that. Services are paid for separately because obviously there's a cost for that. And not everybody's going to need the same services. So if your child doesn't need transportation because they drive, they shouldn't have to pay for that, right? So basically, it's a a menu of things. If um, they need life skills training, they need to learn how to keep their apartment orderly, that sort of stuff will provide that. Um, social engagement is critical. So many of these individuals are very, very lonely. They have social skill mm. problems. They're not good at making friends. And so they end up very, very lonely. And the suicide rate is just off the charts. I don't even want to talk about it. It'll make me cry. Um, but we see a suicide rate is really, really high. Or they get into substance abuse to deal with it or tr- try to deal with it, which of course only makes the problem worse. So we want to make sure we have a social component. So that's part of the services too. We're going to have that Friday pizza party and the Saturday movie night thing and the pool party and whatever. So we'll arrange for those activities, make sure people get engaged. We'll also have roommate matching services where, um, you know, that's one way to kind of force a friendship, right? You get to know that person's living under the same roof. Um, in some instances, there's a property we're looking at now that's very close to a university that has um, a program for students who want to be special needs teachers and that sort of thing, where we're going to do, um, and, and this is modeled after the buddy program that they have at the University of Miami, where the students live with these special needs folks. So maybe it's a two-bedroom or three-bedroom, maybe a four-bedroom. So one person will be a, what we call neurotypical, or you might say regular person, right? In this case, a college student that specializes in special needs. And the rest are special needs individuals. So they have somebody kind of watching out for them. You know, house mom, you might call it if it's a woman or something like that. 
Um, but also make sure they get to those social activities and make sure the apartment stays clean and everybody's doing their part and all that kind of stuff. So I could go on and on. There's a long list of services, but I know we have limited time, but people can check it out at ValhallaVillas.org. There's a whole list of the services that would be coming along with that. But um, Yeah, we're going li- to list that in the description below. As you guys know, we've got that stuff. So let's get into the numbers just real quick. How does something like that differ from a normal apartment complex? I'm I, when you say all this, I almost feel like it's it sounds very similar to student housing. It's a it's a it's a it's a kind of a similar path. Obviously, you have a lot more amenities there. Uh, it's like it's the gap between student housing and assisted living, right? Like you're filling in the gap between these two uh, institutions. Is it? paid for in the rent and is that something section eight would even pay for or yeah so that's why we have to separate out the housing from the services because a lot of them are on social security or maybe they get section eight or things like that so we do work to keep them affordable so it is going to be affordable housing but not junk housing we're talking new nice beautiful complexes right some place where you'd want your kids to live but we can keep it affordable by getting grants um, you know, the ones that we're building from the ground up, I mean, like the government can pay for like 70 to 80% of that, right? So that lets you keep it very affordable um, by having roommates that reduces the cost even further. And then, yes, we can take some of that program money that the government can offer to these individuals, but they usually get separate money for services, right? So that can be billed separately on that side. As far as the exact cost, I can't, that's going to really vary depending on where they are. Our goal is to have at least one complex like this in every state in the United States because the need is everywhere and the cost is going to vary greatly depending on where you're at. And the other thing we want to focus on is complexes that are within walking distance of grocery stores and employment areas. So shopping centers and that kind of stuff so that there's less need for transportation because that's one of the biggest costs. So I immediately see, you know, you know, a savant, for example, some of you may know a savant is a, uh, an individual that has been identified to be operating in a very specific category in a very high manner. A savant would be an example would be someone that can remember every single date for the last 20 years. You can ask them what day of the week was Tuesday in 1970 or, you know, 1973, May 13th. And they'll tell you the exact day of the week it was then, you know, those kind of just crazy cognitive abilities. I almost see these facilities being the the kind of the back horse of being able to take care of the normal life activities so that they can then use their ass, <laughs> their assets, their mental assets. <laughs> To, you know, to to work on projects for Google and Android and Apple and just push the boundaries of writing code and coming up with creative solutions, but maybe unable to kind of handle their regular life. So this coming alongside and saying, we're going to help with all those things that are difficult for you and allow you to then be found by a third party that would come in and, and be able to hire that individual, whereas before there was no chance of them being able to get a job. And I think, you know, hearing the the CEO of Zillow, uh, Rich Barton, talking just last week about how the online job economy has enabled people with disabilities to be competitive in the job force like never before. 
who, you know, if they were in a wheelchair and the building was awkward or or you even talk about these type of disabilities where maybe they're great at writing code, they're great at doing all these different things, but they're not so good at the water, you know, station or the, or the you know, the, the water cooler. Yep. Mm-hmm. Water cooler, yeah, it just makes it un- uh, uncomfortable. And now with the digital economy and this kind of remote working, we've opened up the doors to so much more potential. And then layering your organization on top of that to t- kind of take care of those nuts and bolts uh, is phenomenal. I could see corporate sponsored, uh, you know, campuses that's literally, you know, these these savants are working on the latest and greatest tech and and really specializing. So great yeah. stuff. We, we really want to get to that corporate sponsorship that is on the list. But I think we got to prove ourselves first and let them see what we got. But yeah, that laser focus, that's a, yeah. that's a gift. So a lot of people have that. We talked about the dream. What's what's now? What 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 now can people get involved with you on? Yeah. So um, my regular syndication is through Blue Vikings Capital and people can sign up there for investment opportunities. There's a link on there through to Valhalla. And some of it will sort of be combined. So we'll have opportunities available for both your regular, for people who want to get into like regular type of syndications and people who want to invest with their heart as well as their wallet will have the ability to do that too. So if they sign up through um, Blue Vikings, we'll make sure that they get noticed about both opportunities. And we kind of talked about a barrier to entry on some of these syndications just to kind of give you the right connections going forward. What do you feel is the the kind of the minimum start where somebody can say, okay, I've got this amount of money earmarked. This may be a good fit for me. What's that kind of minimum entry level that you're looking for? Yeah, a lot of times it's far less than people think. Um, you know, a lot of people are saving up for the down payment on their next rental property, single family homes. A lot of times you can get into syndication for less than that. So it does depend on it. Wow. Um, there are ones where you have to have at least 100000 others are fifty. Um, but a lot of times, if you're trying out a syndicator for the first time, let's say they they and advertise it as a fifty thousand dollar minimum or whatever. If you contact that sponsor and you say, "Look, I'm a first time investor. I want to test the waters. What can you get me in that?" You'd yep. be surprised at what they can get you in that because they want to prove themselves to you. They want to show you what they can do and and how well your money can perform. So they're usually happy to bring in a little less. Um, but I had. A lot of people come in on my last one at 25. You know, it, it, it does depend on the deal because you don't want too many investors in one deal. So it depends what you've already got. But we're happy to work with people because we, we want as many people to be able to partake in this as we can offer. To. Maria, it's been a pleasure talking with you today. I know I could just see this is the syndication makes perfect sense, especially for people that maybe wanted to get into real estate, they're looking at the returns of a Retsi fund or an index in real estate, maybe not so exciting, but they don't want to go all the way in to being a landlord and dealing with all the drama. And even if you do have a great property manager, you still have to make these decisions of when I have to repair something, how good of a repair do I do? What do I not do? There's a lot of decisions and phone calls that still even have to be made. And then on top of that, we throw on all the market appreciation that's just occurred thanks to COVID and all the different things that have happened there. And guess what? Rent, most in most markets across America, if you look at the rent compared to the market appreciation, 
they're not in synchrony. They're almost inversely related in some markets. So you have all this equity in your portfolio and you just can't get the rents up because mar you know, pro property prices have gone so far up compared to rent prices that you're talking five, 10 years before you can really get them in sync again. And so being able to say, you know what, I'm gonna get out of my portfolio and move into a syndication and throttle back in the later years of my life an excellent move to make and Maria would love to talk to you about that. If you have properties in Oklahoma, we'd love to talk to you about transitioning. If that's what, something that you, you're listening and you're going, man, this is a good fit. We'd love to talk to you about that as well. Getting rid of those ugly ducklings that aren't performing right. And let's get that money performing in something that's truly changing lives. So Maria, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, I will definitely be in touch with you. This this is a great relationship we've got going in the right direction. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right, let's see. Thanks for listening to episode 121 of the Oklahoma Real Estate Show. If you're thinking about buying or selling in Oklahoma City or the surrounding area, there is a link below to begin your search and get in contact with me. If you've got some ugly ducklings in your portfolio and you need to sell them, I am the agent for you. You can get in touch with me in the description down below or visit oklahomarealestateshow.com. Thank you.